0: Maybe I'm getting a little lazy or something, but, uh, I wanna, I want, I need you to help me preach my sermon this morning. Uh, so, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to the person to your left and to your right, and I want you to say to them, you look fantastic. And whenever someone gives you a compliment, it's polite to, to just acknowledge it. So I want you to turn to them again and say, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And then one last thing. But you're not my mirror. That's it. You're mirror. But you're not my mirror. And there you go. Just like that, you preached my sermon. So we're done here. We can all go home if you're off the hook, right? Um, maybe. Uh, so um, your work here is done, uh, but I got some stuff that uh, I'm going to say. You can tune it out for the next 20 minutes if you want because you just heard my message. Uh, and I, I would even go so far as to say that that you just preached a message that might be one of the most important messages that someone ever Hears. And so, um, not to single out uh, all the mamas on Mother's Day, uh, because this is a message that all of us need to hear. But since it is Mother's Day, happy Mother's Day, by the way. Uh, but it's a message that I think moms uh, really need to hear, because just in my experience with moms, I've, I've learned this Motherhood is really hard, right? motherhood is really hard, and it's made even harder by the pressures of others that are placed upon moms to be something, do something that they are not. And that question that kind of ends up gnawing away is, is this, am I enough? Am I enough? And again, this isn't just a mom thing. This is a dad thing, this is an employee thing, this is a son thing, this is a daughter thing, this is a student thing, this is a retiree thing, this is just a thing thing that we all ask. Well, am I, am I enough? I mean, ever since I can remember, I've carried this question around with me wherever I've gone in life. I mean, from elementary school, and then it kind of shot up and peaked in middle school, right? Right? And then it shows up again in high school, in college, when I got my first real job, when I got married, when I had kids, when I moved into this neighborhood, that neighborhood, that question followed me wherever I went, am I enough? And the tricky thing about this question is that it never seems to be answered so simply with a yes or a no. And that's partly because we think that it demands the input from someone else to help us answer it. That We don't answer this question on our own, but what we do is we look around. We look to our left, we look to our right, and we try to measure ourselves up against those around us. Am I enough? And so every year, I have to do this uh, self-evaluation thing of myself and my ministry. Um, It's basically a performance review where my bosses tell me to ask myself the question, am I enough? Am I a good enough preacher? Am I a good enough teacher? Am I a good enough leader? Am I a good enough pastor? And on and on it goes. And, and, and I just finished filling the thing out. But the question that I kept having in my mind as I was doing it was, well, by whose standards? I mean, what's, what's the scope here? What's, what's the scale? How do I determine my enoughness? It's titled a a self-assessment form, but ironically, in order to assess myself, I did what we all have a tendency of doing. We assess ourselves in comparison to someone who is not ourselves. And it's kind of ironic that, you know, we have this incessant human tendency to self-assess by using a point of reference that is outside of ourselves. And so the question that I want us to all wrestle with a little bit today is this question. Who are you using as a point of reference to evaluate if you are enough? Who are you using as a point of reference to evaluate if you are enough? Or another way to put it is, is simply this. What is your mirror? What is your mirror? Or, or, or who is your mirror? Because I would venture to say that, that many of us probably have quite a few mirrors in our lives. That maybe it's it's your boss or your parents or your kids or a close friend or maybe it's another mom friend or another dad or a coworker. Or maybe maybe your mirror isn't isn't a who, but it's a what. That your salary is a measure of if you are enough. Your position is a measure of if you are enough. Your house is a measure of if you are enough. Your car is a measure of if you are enough. Your GPA is a measure of if you are enough. Your performance review is a measure of if you are enough. And so what's, what's your mirror? And what happens is when all of those mirrors get, get held up to us, it, it seems like we can't help but ask the question, well, how do I look? In comparison to this or that, them, how do I look? Am I enough? And I believe that, that Christianity actually gives a really good explanation for why we all ask this question at, at some point in our lives. And, and I believe that Christianity actually gives a really great answer to that question that we all at some point ask ourselves, am I enough? And so back towards the very beginning of it all, there was a man and a woman named Adam and Eve. You might have heard of this story before. And so they're put in this garden to uh, enjoy life, enjoy God, enjoy creation, enjoy each other, and they're given just one simple rule. God says, look, you can do whatever you want, except for this one thing, don't eat from this tree that's in the middle of the garden. That's it, simple enough, right? Just don't eat from that tree, Things are going just swell and dandy until one day a serpent comes along and the serpent begins asking questions because the serpent is crafty, it says. And the serpent begins to ask a question to the woman It says, did God really say that you can't eat from that tree? I mean, did you hear that correctly? Did, Did God really say that you can't eat from it? And Eve, the woman, responds back and says, yeah, can't eat it, can't touch it, or else we die. That's the rule. And then listen to what the serpent says next, because this is where it kind of gets to the crux of the matter here. The serpent says, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing both good and evil, in other words, the serpent says, "God is holding out on you, that <laughs> God, is, God is holding out on you that you are not good enough the way that you were created, you could be so much more. you could be like God, and what the serpent does is the serpent holds up a mirror and says, "See what you 're missing. Do you see?" Well, you're missing. The serpent doesn't just ask a question about the authority of God. The serpent doesn't just ask a question about obedience. The serpent asks a question about our own insecurities. Are you really enough just the way that you are? And you know how the story goes. The fruit is taken, the fruit is eaten, and that's it. But have you ever thought that it wasn't just an act of disobedience, but that it was also an act of, of distrust on our part and, and an act of, of insecurity deep within us? That this perfect relationship that we had with the Creator, this perfect relationship between creation and Creator, is now broken because of this insecurity. Usually, when a mistake happens, when there's an outward error, there's usually something much deeper going on inside. And so there's this break in the relationship between creation and creator. This relationship has now been separated. And what has happened is that we've now lost our true north. We've now lost our true point of reference to look to and see, am I enough? Am I doing all right? And so now what we do is we look to our left and we look to our right to determine if we are doing all right. When God says, that's never where your gaze should have been anyways. Because now there's this insecurity that's inside of you. And this insecurity that's inside of me that goes to the depths of our souls. And it's why that no matter what you do or who you know, or what you have, or, or what you've done, that we all go through a stage in our life where we ask ourselves, and we begin to wonder, am I enough? And usually, tell me if I'm wrong, but usually the way that we answer that question is we say, well, if I just had, I mean, if I just had, this if i just did that if i just knew her if i just knew him if i just married them if my kids were just like this if 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 then i could just exhale and know that i'm i'm all right And so what we do is we try to fix ourselves. We try to bridge that disconnect that we feel inside. We try to secure that insecurity by comparing ourselves to other people. That maybe if I ever had what they had, then they would look at me the way that I look at them and they would say to themselves, yeah, he's all right. She's all right. But here's the thing, that's not how God ever created us to be. That's not how God ever created us to look around at the world. That when we start comparing ourselves to one another, it's like comparing apples to string beans. Or as the Apostle Paul puts it, he says, it's like comparing a hand to an eye. And so the Apostle Paul, one of the leaders of the early church. Uh, he wrote a letter to this early church in Corinth that's, that's caught in the middle of this comparison trap, and envy is beginning to bubble up within this community. Imagine that, Christians becoming envious of one another. Mm, can't imagine. And so when that happens... When envy kind of gets into our heart, that's when strife begins. That's when we start to feel the tension because we're so busy trying to compare ourselves to one another. And so Paul says, you know, just kind of cut all that out. And he gives an illustration here to the early church that I think is just so powerful. And he says how the church, this community, is supposed to be like a human body, just as a human body has many parts, there's hands, there's feet, there's eyes, there's ears, there's a nose, there's a belly button, all that stuff, so too we are all different, we all have different functions, and yet we are still one together. All together with all of our differences, all to serve one purpose. And so this is what he says. He says, just as a body, though one has many parts, And if an ear should say, look, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not be for that reason to stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, then where would the sense of hearing be? Or if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, look at this, just as he wanted them to. To be. And if they were all one part, well, then where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but there is one body. So let me just give you the Jason Knott paraphrased version of this. Why are you letting someone else hold your mirror? Why are you letting someone else hold your mirror? Why do you keep looking to your left and to your right to determine if you are all right? Why do you keep handing your mirror over to someone else and say, tell me, how do I look? Am I enough? Why do you keep handing your mirror to other people? And So Paul would say the same thing to another church that's going through the same issue of comparison and envy. And watch what he says here in Galatians. He says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. All children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself in Christ. There's neither Jew or Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You see, there's, there's the way that you see you. There's the way that others see you. And then there's the way that God sees you. So the question is, which mirror are you going to look into? Which, which one are you going to use as your reference point? Which, which mirror are you going to trust? So I've got these mirrors all throughout my house. Unfortunately, it seems like I've got one in every single room. And uh, I, I've noticed that every last one of them is defective. It just really bothers me that they're, they're all defective. And, and I know this because I know that I'm really young And so how can it be that when I look into a mirror, I just see more cracks and more crow's feet and more puffiness around the eyes and more puffiness around here? They're all trash. I'm going to throw them all out. But then the wisdom of my oldest son, he's four, by the way, um, he let me know that it's not the mirrors that are defective, Daddy, Uh, So we were comparing boo-boos because that's what you do with a four-year-old, right? We're showing each other uh, the boo-boos that we have. And then he turns to me and he looks at my forehead and he says, Daddy, how'd you get that big boo-boo? It's really big, pointing to the crack in my forehead. And I said, you boy, I got it from you. You're the reason. (sighs) You see, if we let someone else hold our mirror, what often happens is that they'll show us our mistakes. And if you let the wrong person hold your mirror, they'll show you what you're missing, not what you're gifted that often when we allow someone else to hold our mirror, they show us just what we're missing and not what we have been gifted. Because the thing about mirrors, the thing about mirrors is that they show you the image, but they always show it to you in reverse. Are you with me? And so when we look to our left and to our right and we ask someone else to hold up our mirror, what they often do is they, they show us what we're missing, not what we have been gifted, and they're showing us the image in reverse of how it really is. And so let me, let me ask you this question. How does a perfect parent see their child? Or who would a perfect parent compare their child Who would a perfect parent compare their child to? Or 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 forget about a perfect parent. Let's just let's just go with like standard run of the mill average parent. Who would they compare their child to? There's a new mom, there's a new dad, there's a brand new baby. Who would they compare that baby to? And I've been around a lot of brand new moms and a lot of brand new dads and a lot of brand new babies and and never once has it happened to me where they come and say, here's Elizabeth. She's okay. (laughs) Fine. But we had hoped that she would turn out more like her. Never once has that happened. And that's just like, decent parents. And and I gotta let you know, I've seen some not so cute babies before too. <laughs> Still doesn't change the fact that there's no one that they would compare their child to. And so let me ask you just a follow-up question. Who does God, your perfect heavenly parent, compare you to? And who is God, your perfect heavenly parent, compare you to if you are a child of God? And so that verse that I just read, I think has the power to to totally change the way that we see the world and the, the way that we see ourselves in the world. It started off and it says, So in Christ Jesus, You are all children of God through faith. All children of God. All. All because of Christ. This is is such a huge idea that whenever we think about it, it should just take our breath away. But so often we don't take the time to actually think about it. We just read and we gloss over it and we say, Oh yeah, I'm a child of God. Okay, great. Now what's, what's next? If we just pause and say... What does that look like? What does that mean? Paul goes on to talk about how it is that this idea just totally changed the world, totally changed the way that we see God, totally changes the way that we see ourselves and others. So he goes on into the next chapter of Galatians, and he says this, "'But when the set time had fully come,' meaning that, that when the time was, was just right for God to totally change the world and for God to totally change the way that we see ourselves in the world, God sent his son, Jesus, born of a woman, born under the law, hang on to that, we're going to get to it, to redeem those under the law. Now this means that, that God, through Jesus, did something for everybody who was born under the law. And guess what? If you didn't know this already, that's you and that's me. That's Jews, that's Gentiles, that's religious people, that's non-religious people. We were all born under the law. It's the law that God gave to Moses, the law that God gave to the prophets, but it's also the law that Scripture says that God has written in every human heart. And you know it's there. Because you have that voice in the back of your head that says, you know, I ought to. I know that I ought to. And you don't always pay attention to it. You don't always do what it says. But nevertheless, it's still there. You know, I ought to. But the thing about that ought to voice is that we can never, ever live up to what we ought to do. And so that's why we keep looking around to our left and to our right to see how we compare with others, to see if we are all right, see whether or not we are enough. And so God sent Jesus into this world, born under the same law that we were all born under in order to redeem us, says now word redeem it's 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 just a financial term really it's it's transactional it it's about what you give in exchange for something else and that's nice and that's good and fine but it doesn't really change the way that i see myself and it doesn't really change the way that I see the world. It's, it's still just transactional. It's, it's, it's impersonal. But Paul says, just hold on, hold on. This is, this is just the beginning. <laughs> and that's just the setup. This all took place so that, so that, that we might receive adoption, he goes on to say. That we might receive adoption, to sonship. That when God sent Jesus into the world, it it wasn't simply to say, all right, redeemed. All right, all right, you're forgiven. Clean slate. All right, here you go. Here's, here's Here's your golden ticket into heaven. You're all good now. You're fine. You're good. But it's bigger than that. And it's so much better than that. That when God sent Jesus into the world, God made it so that you and me, that everyone in this entire world could be adopted as God's sons and God's daughters. Meaning that God looked upon you. God looked upon me. And God saw you with all of your junk and all of your mistakes. And all of your talents and all of your lacking talents and all of your opportunities and all of your missing opportunities. And God said, I choose you. You. as my own. I choose you as my own. That you have now become a child of the creator. And that creator creation bond that, that was broken so long ago that insecurity that we still have inside of us that that bond is now forever sealed together so that there is nothing in life or in death in death there is neither height nor death there is nothing in all of creation that could ever separate us from the love of god and then paul takes it a step further And he says this, he says, because, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son, Jesus, into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. And this is so remarkable, because that word, Abba, it's a little Aramaic word that that Jesus used, but we don't really have a good translation for it in Greek or Hebrew, the two original languages that the Bible was written in, that this word Abba is so personal, it's, it's so intimate, it's so close, it's so relational, that, that the closest that we can come to kind of pinning it down and translating it is the word dad, or daddy. And it might make us a little uncomfortable to think of God in such a close, personal way, dad, Daddy, Mom, Mommy, but closeness with our perfect heavenly parent. See, this is so much more than than just redeeming. It's beyond that. It, it's beyond it just buying back. That that now something has happened where there there's an ability to be close, to be intimate. It's, it's being seen by God the way that your perfect heavenly parent sees their child. There is no one to compare you to. That now, when God looks at us, God, God sees us and says to us what, what we all want to say to our own children. right? That if, if you could just see you the way that I see you, that if you could just see you the way that I see you, man, you'd see yourself totally differently. That if you could just see you the way that I see you, not, not the way that you see you in comparison to him or her, but if you could just see you the way that I see you, ah, that when God looks at you, God doesn't look to the people to your left or to your right. That God looks at you, at you, and sees a beloved child. And because we are children, you know that that means that, yeah, we still got some growing up to do. We, We still have some learning to do. We still have some maturing to do, some developing to do. That God isn't done with us yet, but that's because God loves us so much that God won't leave us where we are. That God isn't done with us yet. But that when God looks at us, God sees the perfected work of Jesus Christ now on display for all to see and to take notice of. That we don't have to keep looking in a mirror, but we can now see face to face with the God who calls us a beloved son or a beloved daughter. So there is the way that you see you, the way that others see you, and the way that God sees you. So the question is, whose whose estimation of you should you use? I mean, whose whose mirror should you really trust? Who should you compare yourself to? Where where is your mirror? And if we could all just get that idea, you know, like off the screen, off the page, into our minds and into our hearts, I believe that it would totally change the way that we see everything in the world, that it would change the way that we see ourselves, that it would change the way that we see one another, that it would change the way that we live and move and have our being in this world when we know who we are and how our perfect heavenly parent sees us that if we could just take back the mirrors that we've given to the people on our left and our right, that if we could just take all of those back and hand them over to God and see ourselves through the eyes of the one who created us, who redeemed us, and the one who loves us unconditionally as if there was no one else in the world to compare us to, sons and daughters. That if we had the courage to say, God, give me your eyes so that when I see me, I see me the way that you see me. God, give me your eyes so that when I look at me, I, I look at me rightly. And if you do that, if you do that, you know what you'll find? You know what you'll find? You'll find exactly what you have been so busy looking for. Trying to outrun, trying to outearn, trying to outbuy, outperform, outsell, outdiet, you'll find you'll find exactly what it is that you have been looking for. Your truest, deepest most honest estimation of you. A beloved child of God. A beloved child of Abba. So my hope, my hope for you today, and my hope for myself today, is that whoever you have been using as your mirror or whatever you have been using as your mirror, that you would look to your left, that you would look to your right, and you would say, you know what? You're not my mirror. My maker. My Abba is my mirror. And so God, what marvelous love That you have given to us. Lord, that you've called us children, sons and daughters, and that you say that that's who we really are. And so, Lord, help us to see as you see, to do as you do, that we would live in that reality, your reality and that your love for us would shut down that debilitating self-criticism, even when we know that there is some truth to it. Because we trust God, that you are greater, that you are bigger than our worried hearts, that you know more about us than we even do ourselves. So give us your eyes. Help us see as you see, fix our vision on you. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.